Hello and welcome to Arts Talk Radio. I'm Michael Hasted. We bring you interviews as well as news and reviews relating to all aspects of the arts in Holland, concentrating on events in Amsterdam, The Hague, Rotterdam and everything in between or nearby. Arts Talk Radio Online. Interviews and features on the arts in English. Three very different pieces this week. We'll be at the Kunstmuseum in The Hague talking about a new exhibition there. And also in The Hague we'll be talking to a Brazilian dancer and choreographer who has lived and worked there for the past 15 years. But first to Rotterdam, where I was at the Kunsthal for the opening of a fascinating exhibition on the work of an Oscar-nominated Dutch animation studio, and I spoke to one of its three partners. Hi, I'm Job Roggeveen from uh, animation studio Job Joris Amerika. Can you tell us a little bit about the company to start with? Because I think you've been going for quite a long time. Yeah, yeah the, the company started 15 years ago, uh, actually, so uh, uh, 2007, of course. And um, like we, the three of us uh, studied together as designers. So, um, um, so we, we uh, I started graphic de- studied graphic design and yours and Marike product design, and uh, the three of us got together uh, in making films. And uh, like the thing is a little bit that, that we are designers who want to tell stories. So, d- so um, we we tried live action films, uh, so on a set with a camera and everything. But the control to have there over there is really hard, you know, uh, the, with the weather and dogs running through your uh, image and so we like to work in a studio and control everything because um, all the your the way you work is with computers entirely with computers yeah now it is but uh, like yours Marika uh, who animate everything uh, or uh, used to because we uh, we work with a team now but they uh, they started with stop-motion animation um, so uh, puppets and you see it a little bit still in in our um, in the DNA of our designs that that uh, and uh, we, we work at 12 frames per second and we like the stop motion feel but uh, in 3D we can work um, a lot more fluently together so uh. yeah and you've developed this technique which we've just seen a I suppose you call it a film but it's projected in three dimensions yeah is that a, a, a something you've more or less invented uh, no it's not like like a video mapping it exists but uh, I don't think it's um, uh, like we, we really uh, wanted to tell a story with video mapping and we uh, usually you see like a, a projection on a building and then the building falls apart and it's more uh, on effect uh, based you know and we uh, but this was actually the actual room with the three walls yeah, and a yeah, floor yeah. And, and the action took place on on all those services. yeah so we, we, we really thought okay uh, if we use something uh, like a, an experience, we want to tell a story inside there. So we're going to design the, the, the place where he lives. And it's really, uh, we have to think about, like, if he's going outside, um, you, you always have those balls, you know, and you want to want to keep the, the illusion of being in this space. So um, we had very little opportunity to... Uh, to go to different sets, so we, we really thought about it. Okay, what can we do? In what set does it work? And uh, because it, it, it's, it's going to be a little bit limited. I mean, you can't show that film on television no, or in the no. cinema. Or yeah, but limits. Uh, it's uh, for us. It's uh, challenging. So uh, we, we like it if we if we get a, a a problem in front of us or a limit, then we think, okay, what can we do with it? And we get very creative. So this piece uh, is more or less limited to exhibitions and museums. Yeah, maybe, but we. Th- 
We, uh, we hope that we can tr uh, make a travel to animated uh, animation film festivals or other film festivals that you really have the, the video map installation over there. Because it's quite large, isn't it? I mean, it's what, five, five meters square? Or cube yeah, or so it's six, uh, six, six meters. Yeah. Uh, 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 the width is six meters. So, but we can make it smaller also. It's possible you can even make it like this size, yeah. you know, like a... Like a but I mean, it, as is now, it's, it's life-size. The yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. We thought it's a little bit bigger than life-size, mm. yeah. And, and we... Um, we also think about uh, presenting it as a film. It's possible uh, still mm. to, to make it as a film because the idea is... Yeah, that's a good story. Yeah, it's still a story, you know, and mm. you can tell it and then maybe we can make uh, do something with close-ups too, which mm. not, is now impossible with uh, the whole video map. Uh, but what do you normally do? You normally make, what, short films, feature-length films? Yeah, we can uh, walk a yeah. little around. Like, this is uh, like a, f uh, a short music video. Um, we do that. We like to tell a uh, story, so we make short films and now we just presented our first series. A TV series, so that's where we're growing so to. So uh, Wallace and Gromit, big uh, yeah, something like that. Them. We're a little bit inspired by by uh, Armon, uh, but they are still doing stop motion. Yeah, yeah, we were not gonna make stop motion. Yeah, well, maybe for for a side project or something, but mm. we're mainly working in 3D animation. Mm. Yeah. Okay, well, let's have a, a quick wander. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is our latest project. It's, it's called uh, Cop Up. Um, in in uh, English, it's called Swap. And, uh, and what's this? It's a short film. Of it's a, it's a, the first episode of a series of 12, okay. 12 episodes. So it's 12 times 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. It's our biggest project until now. And uh, it's about three kids who find a washing machine, and they, it's a magical washing machine, and they notice they can exchange hats with the washing machine. So <laughs> in, in between, they, they lose their hat for a moment, and, uh, and then if you, they put their uh, neck into it, again, they get the hat of the other kid, and they can uh, exchange their lives. Uh, this is, are this made uh, especially for children or for children's television? Yeah, it's for 8 to 12, uh, for Dutch television, for VPRO. Because with Wallace and Gromit, I mean, that really... Yeah, but we, like, we, we make it. We make it with the idea that it's uh, that it's for children, but it's also interesting for for uh, parents to watch. So uh, I think a lot of parents are uh, uh, are going to have a lot of fun with it. So. Okay, well, thanks. I think that that will do. Thanks very much yeah? indeed. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> that was Job Rochman of the Utrecht-based animation studio Job Joris and Marika. The exhibition of the same name runs at the Kunsthal in Rotterdam until the eighth of May and is well worth a visit. Brazilian dancer and choreographer Samir Calixto has been in the Netherlands for 15 years, most of that time working with the Corso Theatre in The Hague. Well, Samir has now formed his own company and their first production is currently on tour. The show is Dido, Aeneas, Us and All, performed Purcell's opera Dido in Aeneas. I asked Samir what made him choose this for his first production. First of all, it's really the music of Purcell. Like, he's... Um his music writing is something that has no wonder endured times, you know. And I've always been fascinated by his music since the times I was in the conservatory in Sao Paulo. But there is something in this opera that, uh, of course, you have the theme of love that is there very present in the opera. But at the same time, you have this idea where the characters are constantly played by outside forces or invisible forces. 
and I found there was no ideal time. <laughs> this time is absolutely ideal to speak about that. The opposition of love or capacity or incapacity of loving and us being played by forces that we do not understand. And this is very present in the plot of the opera, of course, especially the second act or the whole way, you know, they are put apart, the, the characters, but um, that's why the piece called Daido, Enes, Us and All, because I wanted to transcend the whole mythology around just Daido and Enes and the love story, but to, to take love as a theme, opposing the idea of romantic love and universal love which for me are very separate things, you know, are very different things. And us, because I'm talking about us as a civilization, and all us in this greater scheme, that the one that we understand the least. <laughs> yeah, you're doing, you're using the whole thing from yeah. start to finish? Yes, I'm using the entire opera, like uh, without any cuts or anything like that. So it's kind of challenging because it's just the two of us on stage. But I always like this idea of the dancers being confronted by the forces of the music as a parallel to the forces of nature. But it's a great piece, I would imagine, to choreograph to, because the beginning really sort of marches along, doesn't it? Yes, it is. But funnily enough, the beginning was the most challenging choreographically because it's made of bits and pieces. And when you're not dealing with a large ensemble, only with two dancers, I needed to find a way to navigate this first act in a way that it wouldn't feel fragmented and I would still create a sort of a dramaturgic line inside of it, you know, without having to use many dancers or many changes of, uh, of atmosphere or many changes in the, in the content of the choreography. So what I'm doing, the first act is the happiest, let's say, you know, is the most jolly, is to configure a situation between these two characters that goes through this apparent happiness of the music but somehow uh, are not surrendering to it. So you see more as a... I wouldn't say that the take is ironic. I'm not being ironic about the way we are uh, transiting on stage, but I think we are... Um, how, how, how to it's very hard to describe choreography. <laughs> but this is something you, you um, conceived and created and choreographed and designed uh, your, yourself. And who's the other dancer? This is Erika Poletto. It's an Italian dancer that I know for a few years, but it's the first time we work together. And uh, it's been challenging, you know, from the beginning with, uh, but now of course we reach this point where we are, um, we are one on stage. Erika is a, is a younger dancer than I am, uh, but she has a, a very interesting presence in terms, there's something very melancholic about her presence, but at the same time, like a, she's fiery, she has that energy which suits the idea of the character of Daido, even though what you see on stage is more a man and a woman, as not as such as Daido and Enes. You see more of um, a representation of the modern contemporary man and woman somehow, and after transcending that. Have, have you based the imagery or the visual presentation on anything? Because there are lots and lots of paintings and, and things of the story. Have you uh, delved into any of those for your inspiration visually? No, not really. I know of many of them, of course, during the research period, you know, where you, you stumble into many of those images. But somehow, uh, no, the whole visuals of the performance are very influenced by this idea of the us and all. But specifically the us in the larger context. So while you see two characters that are there, you know, um, 
transiting this music, you're gonna you're gonna see a lot of our relationship with um, with the larger space. This is in the use of a, of a panel that we have, where we have some projections. That's the first time I do this, and I hesitated a lot because it's been very overused. But I wanted to find a way to, to sort of connect to something that's hard to make present only by the use of ordinary light on stage. But I mean, that projection, as you say, it has been overused and it can be used for its own sake, but it also affords a, a really great opportunity if you're creative with it. That, that was my, you know, what made me decide to use it. There was is this a full, a full, a full size one, uh, edge to edge? It is, it is a, a screen mm. of six by two. This one is really an object, so I, because I also wanted something that it would be visually complementary to the to the performance and it's also projected in a semi-transparent fabric. So in a way it is an object, it, it composes the whole scenography somehow, also to not just be, um, as I said earlier, the the ordinary way you see projection somehow. You know, that transparency helps a lot to give depth. Okay, I think that will do. Thanks very much, Samuel Aristo, and uh, good to talk to you again. Yes, likewise, thank you. That was Brazilian dancer and choreographer Samir Calixto, whose Dido, Aeneas, Us and All is currently on tour in the Netherlands. Arts Talk magazine provides the perfect companion to Arts Talk radio with reviews and previews in English of cultural events in Holland. Whatever your interest in the arts, our international team of writers will always provide something new and exciting to see online. That's Arts Talk Magazine, all one word, dot NL. Arts Talk Magazine, dot NL. Another exhibition has just opened at the Kunstmuseum in The Hague, showing the work of the Czech Art Nouveau graphic artist Alphonse Muka. Now, you may not be familiar with the name, but you'll certainly know his pictures. Zoe Baus met up with art historian Wendy Fossen of Casa dell'Arte and asked her how you would recognise them. Well, he he made a lithograph, so he he wasn't he wanted to be a painter, mm. uh, but he became famous with these lithographs, mm. um, advertisements, but also theatre posters. And I think theatre posters are probably the most famous ones. Although some people might know may know also his series of. Uh, um, the arts or a series of seasons and they are all recognizable very distinct because of the uh, long female figures and you call them flower women uh, they're called the mucha women uh, and uh, sometimes uh, they're referred to as uh, um, the women of mucha the macaroni mucha uh, because of the hair uh, because they have extremely long hair they always well mostly wear their hair down and if not uh, it's up, but it's not neatly up. It's always a bit messy, like a messy bum. Mm. Um, 
and uh, then um, they, uh, the colors are pastel colors, so no bright reds or yellows or, or, or blacks like you saw in the um, uh, commercial posters of Toulouse-Lautrec, for mm. instance. Um, so they're, they're very distinct. It's, it's always a bit, you know, it, they're extremely feminine. Yes, I, I feel that. Very sensual. And, well, I think this is something we'll get to soon, but he was part of this Art Nouveau movement, which drew a lot on the organic, on that. Exactly. I think that's perhaps why I'm thinking of flowers. Flowers, but yeah. Yeah, very, very beautiful in a, in and, a very and friendly way. And mm. friendly, even mm. though sometimes they are, um, you know, um, dressed in flimsy dresses and uh, see-through or, you know, sometimes a bit... Um, sensuous, provocative, provocative. Mm. but for some reason, I was I was talking to somebody in, in one of my tours, and they said, "Well, for some reason, I never have the feeling that these are prostitutes, mm. even though they are so um, they they have everything to make you think they are prostitutes, but they're not because it's always very lovely, and also because of the pastel colors, it, it's never shocking. No. Whereas when you look at the the advertisements for Le Moulin Rouge, for mm. instance, by uh, um, Toulouse Lautrec. Uh, you you always have that vibe of uh, you know the, the the grand horizontal. Those are the women that you actually uh, can take home. Uh, mm. Well, not to present to your parents, mm. but <laughs> in the back yeah. of your house. No, I mean I think there is something quite classy about exactly. about these pictures. Yeah, um, quite subtle. Now he himself was a seems to have been a fascinating man, and you said that he also, and perhaps this is linked to what you were just saying, he was also quite religious, mm -hmm. and later got involved with the sort of a mystic, uh, mystic group, or, or, or became more drawn towards the the mysticism the and the yeah. occult. Yeah. So so tell us a bit more about that aspect of his work, because that's also quite intriguing. Well, it's it's interesting because everybody knows him because of the uh, advertisement posters and, and the ones that we just described, uh, but there was also a, a, a spiritual side to him. And as I said in the beginning, he wanted really to become a painter, but he just rolled into uh, this, this uh, lithography, uh, and that's something that we may discuss later on, but he, at a certain point in time, he, 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 this was not fulfilling him anymore. So he was looking for something with more depth. Um, and um, this is also like the time spirit, you know, late 19th century, early 20th century, where you have the occult. Um, um, people are interested by um, the um, um, anthroposophical ideas like uh, by by um, um, Rudolf Steiner, mm. uh, Madame Blavatsky with mm. her uh, uh, theosophical ideas. So it was all something which, you know, the mystic stuff that was mm. kind of going around Paris as well. Uh, he became a member of the Freemasons. So right. um, he, he was, and, and again, because of his religious origins, he was taking on a pilgrimage when he was seven already by his extremely religious mother. So that was something that was always there. So when he was looking for more profound uh, subjects, uh, it's no wonder that he uh, got this idea to create his own Our Father like interpretation and yeah. that's a project called Le Pater yeah. uh, and then he uh, creates this book 
which he printed like 300 times in French and 100 times in Czech language, um, with one line of the, uh, each page has then one line of the Our Father prayer, and then he has another page with his interpretation and also an image to go along. And that's all about you know, uh, um, uh, uh, reaching a higher goal. And interesting to see is that the, the, the superior being, the God, um, that is more, it's not a male or female, it's more like an uh, androgynous uh, uh, figure, which is quite in line with the whole mystical idea. So it's, then that's the, the interesting part about Mucha, something that many people don't know. And we have a beautiful room in the exhibition where you actually see Le Pater and the, and the drawing. So that's yes. a, very, a very nice element. Yeah. Yes, okay, so we'll talk a bit more about the actual, actual exhibition in a minute so mm -hmm. people know what, what they can expect to see there. But just to, to stay with Mucha himself uh, for a moment, so we, we really had the sort of religious, mystical side, but then also quite a nationalistic side, because although he worked a lot in France, he is in fact Czech. Exactly. And he was quite devoted to, to his country. To his country and mm. to the Slavic mm. uh, um, uh, people in, in general, because the Slavs obviously don't limit themselves only to Czechoslovakia or Czechia, uh, but it's, it's a larger group uh, around the Balkans. Um, and um, he, he was nationalist from the, the very first beginning, uh, because his um, country was also part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. And uh, he was asked in 1900 to do to decorate the pavilion for Bosnia-Herzegovina, an area which had recently been conquered by this empire, and that brought him in this this like very complex position because at one point, of course, he didn't want to work for the uh, suppressor uh, or yes, oppressor. Uh, and, uh, but on the other hand, this was a, a grand opportunity for him to do something about it, to do something nationalistic. And then he designed this, this beautiful uh, kind of decoration about the Slav people, uh, and that was approved by uh, his um, his employer, uh, which was quite a surprise, but that kindled the fire that he had for you know his nationalistic feelings because he was allowed to travel the Balkan and he saw uh, the, the the deplorable situation that the people were in, and that gave him the idea to create this grand Slavic. Epic, mm -hmm. epic uh, a, a, a series of 20 paintings from which he, wor he worked on that from 1910 until 1928. Yeah, so that was a real project of, of love and, and of yeah. ongoing devotion, as it were. Now, exactly. now there isn't, that isn't in the exhibition. No, no, no. And that's also and... a completely different style. This is right. something which is like a, a normal... Uh, okay. uh, normal so painting, historical, historical uh, painting, because that's he wanted to be a historical painting, but he applied to the academy and they said, "Oh, go do something useful." So he wasn't accepted. So he kind of, you know, he tried to make a living, and then that's how he rolled into this whole printing uh, business. Now, now you're also telling me, and you've got a, a beautiful, um, glossy book here with with a lot of his work in it. But we see that he was a man of of you know, he wasn't perhaps a painter, but he was just a man of incredible creativity. He had so many ideas, and that's really where we see his talent. He, and those ideas we see in jewelry making, yeah. in the lithographs, but even he designed um, whole shops. Shops, exactly, I yeah. Mean, incredible, yes, yeah, just incredibly creative person. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, he was very um, creative. Um, he um, he became at some point he became so popular with his uh, commercial posters that he uh, thought, okay, well, I'm going to create a book, uh, and that's called the uh, Document Décoratif, and that's more of a uh, kind of an instruction for painters or for draw or anybody who liked his style to copy him. Um, and, and it's a beautiful uh, that you see on the exhibition drawings that you see that there's this poppy, uh, just a drawing of a real poppy, mm -hmm. and how you can stylize that into um, a poppy that you can kind of repeat over and over again and create, for instance, like wallpaper. Uh, so that's what he, he tried to do as well. So he wanted to bring beauty into the homes of every person, and that was also very characteristic of the Art Nouveau, like um, creating a beauty all around you, not just for the elite, but and that's why these posters were also very popular because many more people could afford to have something really decorative and really nice and beautiful mm. uh, to to um, um, put in their decorate homes, their decorate homes. their homes. Absolutely, yeah. and they are they they're very lovely to look at. They're they're aesthetically pleasing. I think most people exactly. would, would yeah. agree. Now, what can people expect to see in the in the exhibition? Because you described it quite nicely for me, the sort of the, the thinking behind this exhibition. Yeah, the idea is that you kind of walk through Paris, uh, and then it starts with the um, the theatre posters that he made for Sarah Bernard. That was an incredible uh, uh, project. Uh, and let me just tell you how he rolled into that whole thing, how he became so famous. Mm, because his, big uh, break. his breakthrough <laughs> was in nineteen ninety or eighteen ninety four. Um, he'd been in Paris already for a number of years and he was supporting himself doing all these these little jobs uh, and at one point he was um, um, uh, proof reading, proof correcting something for a friend who worked at Le Marchier which is a print shop um, and then their panic broke out it was Christmas Eve, nobody was around and the big Sarah Bernard the great actress had refused this poster which had to be up by January 1st so there was a great rush uh, and also uh, a panic because nobody was available. Everybody was on holiday. So Le Marchais said, well, if nobody's there, then you just do it. And what he did was that he actually revolutionized uh, um, the... Um, the whole printing idea, because normally you would have like a stone on which they print the lithographs and it would be either a horizontal image or a vertical image. Mm. But what he did was that he divided this rectangular stone into creating two separate bits, a top bit and a bottom bit, mm. and then created these elongated posters that you could put up. Mm. Uh, against the billboards, like a pin-up, yeah. as you said. Yeah. Uh, and, and then Sarah Bernard would be looking right at you. You would be eye-to-eye. Right, and it was something which was completely uh, innovative. And also the colours that he used were not the bright colours no. of Toulouse-Lautrec. So it was like these subtle pastel colours with a lot of like flowers that you mm. associate his work with and all these prints. It's like these posters are usually very full and very crowded so there's no space left uh, but they're very full also with with these flowers and lines and patterns that usually have a relationship to his to to the specific subject of the play yeah it's very detailed this was extremely very detailed, detailed. so it? you see these mm. intricate patterns yeah. for instance for the poster of hamlet mm. uh, which is actually played by sarah berlard so she plays hamlet uh, and you see these insular type 
patterns that you would recognize from the um, uh, Linden's Farm Gospel, for instance, or the, the Book of Kells, great uh, um, uh, Gospels made in the early medieval times. So he uses all that, or Byzantine mosaics, it's something that you see also decorating these. The very uh, thoughtful uh, use of, of Very, detail. very, yeah. So mm -hmm. he, he, he has then his major breakthrough and she hires him for six mm -hmm. years and then he ends up working for her, creating all these theater costumes as well. So that's the first room that you actually get into the theater and then they move you towards, you know, as if you're walking through the streets of Paris. So you also see these other posters to indicate how much he differed from them. Mm -hmm. And then you go into the large room where you also see the glasswork of Emile Gallet, uh, which is very much as if you were in a shop. Right. Uh, Le Printemps and uh, Galerie Lafayette, big posters of the these um, uh, houses are then seen, these, these um, warehouses are seen uh, as you enter into the room. And then you see all these advertisements that he created for bicycles and for uh, train lines and stuff. And, and champagne. then champagne, exactly. And then Champenois, the, his, his um, employer, then says, well, you know, this is so decorative and people are so appreciative of these posters because these posters by Sarah Bernard, of, of Sarah Bernard, they were nicked the moment they were put up, even those boys who were sticking them to the walls, they were bribed in order to get these posters. Wow. So Champenois said, well, why don't you make series? So then he develops these series of the four seasons, or of the four arts, of four times the day. So they become very decorative and they just decorate people's mm. homes and much cheaper, of course, than these paintings. Okay, so, so if our listeners feel like a feast for the eyes, Definitely. which is indeed how I would describe and this work. And a trip down memory lane, because at the end of the exhibition, we look at the um, uh, the influence that Mucha has had on the flower power period, the 1960s and 70s. Absolutely. So if you are from those days, or if you're a fan of the flower power period, you definitely have to go, because okay. at the end you just feel like you're completely zen uh, in this exhibition. Well, it sounds like also very feel-good. Exhibition, I think we can all do with that. Yeah. So, Wendy from Casa del Arte, thank you so much for talking to us on Arts Talk today, and that one is definitely in my diary. That was Harry Baus talking with art historian Wendy Fossen of Casa dell'Arte on the Alphonse Mucher exhibition at the Kunstmuseum in The Hague, which runs until the 3rd of July. Arts Talk Radio Online. Well, I'm afraid that's all we've got time for for this week. Uh, this is Arts Talk Radio, and my name's Michael Hasted. If you have any comments, please leave them in the box below. So until the next time, it's goodbye from me. Bye.